You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Air Church. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who love him and love their neighbour. We pray these sermons serve to deepen your love for and obedience to Jesus. And whilst we trust these podcast sermons bless you, we would not want them to replace you gathering with us personally as you're able to or committing to a local gospel church near you. So if you want to explore Jesus more, gather with us, or find a church near you, please get in touch through our website, harvestair.church. You are loved. Um, Please do keep your Bible open at Matthew chapter 7, continuing on in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, in our series, Kingdom Living thinking about what it looks like to be uh, to live like real disciples. How do real disciples live under Jesus' rule? If you're someone that uh, wears glasses, and uh, I'm not quite there yet myself, I'm getting there. I have a twin brother who started wearing glasses, so it's, it's coming around the corner for me. If you're someone who wears glasses, then you'll know that if you get your prescription wrong, if your prescription is wrong, your vision will be blurry, won't it? How do you get a clear vision? Well, you need correct prescription. You need correct glasses. You need correct lenses. And in many ways, what Jesus has been doing through Matthew 5 to 7 has been giving you and I a a blessed vision for life. We thought about that way back at the beginning of chapter 5. Blessed, blessed. We saw the Beatitudes. He's been giving us really what a, a blessed vision of life looks like. Blessed meaning a God centered vision for human flourishing that leads to eternal life and happiness. That's the kind of blessed life he's talking about. A God-centered vision for human flourishing that leads to eternal life and happiness. The thing is, though, that we so often live with a blurred vision of life rather than a blessed vision, even as Christians. And one major way that shows up, and which we're looking at this morning, one major way that blurred vision shows up in our lives is how we relate to other people and, more importantly, how we relate to God. And you and I need not a correct prescription here, but a clear, Jesus-given, Jesus-centered perspective if we were to have that blessed vision for life rather than a blurry one. Jesus has already really been doing that. He's been giving us that blessed vision. He's been correcting our perspective. Last uh, couple of weeks out, we thought about having a healthy eye when it comes to money. Last week, when we were thinking about anxiety, Jesus got us to, to look around to lift our heads up and to to look around, to gain perspective through how he cares for and provides for his creation. And this week, he's talking about taking something out of our eyes. So you see here, Jesus really trying to give us a, a clear perspective on life. He's going to show us what difference a vision of the blessed life should have on your and my relationships. He's going to show us what the exceeding righteousness, which really is a kind of header for this whole section. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 20, he talked about how we are to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to show us what that exceeding righteousness looks like in our everyday relationships. How should your and I relationships as a Christian be different to those in the world around us? So let me ask you this morning, are there relationships in your life where humility is lacking. Maybe where there is harshness or judgmentalism. Maybe we walk in this morning with that kind of lens in our mind. Maybe we are experiencing that from someone else in a, in, a, in a different walk of life. Do we find our hearts hard towards other people this morning? 
Let me ask you another question. Do you know God as Father? Father, like we sung about already. If you do then, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Do you question His goodness sometimes? Are you speaking to Him? Well, Jesus has something of eternal significance to say to us about those things. He calls us ultimately this morning to respond by judging others with humility and trusting God as our Heavenly Father. That's the two big things we're going to see this morning. We're to judge others with humility and trust God as our Heavenly Father. So the first thing we see this morning together is this. Real relationships require me to look through the lens of humility at others. Verse 1 to 6, if, if you look down, Jesus really is, is highlighting the significant danger and all too common characteristic in our hearts when it comes to our relationship with others that of judgmentalism. And we should note at the outset here that Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't make judgments of one another. These verses will go on to make that clear. Verse 5 still sees us eventually taking a speck out of someone's eye. Verse 6 talks about exercising judgment too. So Jesus here isn't saying don't judge. He's talking about how we judge, with what kind of heart attitude. Ultimately, the call to judge not is a call to not judge unfairly. That's really what he's trying to teach us here. And, the, and the, the judgment that Jesus is speaking of here is primarily an in-here judgment. It's a church judgment. He uses the word brother here, doesn't he? And we need to understand, too, when we hear that word judge, we kind of bring our definitions or our conceptions of judge to bear on that word. But the, the judgment here we're thinking about is not kind of the final, the, the, the gavel coming down with a final sentence it's not handing out final verdicts, final verdicts on, on one another's lives. That's not, Jesus is calling us not to do that. We're not to hand, hand out a final verdict on each other's lives. We are being called here to, to, to kind of directly discern and evaluate whether the fruit of our lives matches up with our profession of faith, which we're going to be thinking about a lot next week. One commentator helpfully puts it this way, Christians can pronounce that is good and that is wrong, but not you're condemned by God. That's for him to judge. And so often we hear this phrase or this verse, uh, even in our culture, don't we? Only God can judge me. You can't judge me. No one can judge me. I'm the judge of myself. That's how often we hear that verse, or maybe we even think about that verse in that way. If you're a Christian this morning, this verse is not a get-out-of-jail-free card to having other Christians humbly highlight your sin in your life highlight where your life is inconsistent with Jesus' commands. And if you're not a Christian, then yes, that is true. Christians can't stand and hand out a final verdict on your life. But one day God will. One day all of us will have to go before the judgment seat of Christ. And he calls you to be ready for that. And he calls Christians, you and I, not to hand out final verdicts on people's lives, but to warn them of that judgment. Doesn't mean we should stop speaking God's standards of truth into our society. Doesn't mean his moral absolutes uh, that he has shouldn't be spoken by us into the world. We should still do that for the sake of society and the eternal destiny of souls. We proclaim urgently the means by which we can pass through that judgment repentance from sin and faith in Jesus, the one who went through God's punishment for us on the cross so that we might have eternal life. 
Loved ones, there's a big difference as Christians, as we think about how we engage those around us, particularly maybe in our culture, there's a big difference between preaching or proclaiming for a verdict and handing a verdict out. There's a big difference between those two things. Yes, we should warn. Yes, we should preach and call for repentance. But there's a big difference between preaching for a verdict and a big difference between handing one out on someone's heart and life. That's for God to do. So with those things in mind, what does Jesus say about how we're to judge one another? Well, three key things from these first few verses. Firstly, be warned. Verse two, if you look down, Jesus says, the standard you use will be measured to you. It will be used on you. Whatever standard you set will be used on you. He's saying here the kind of way we judge how we judge, the kind of judgment we sow is the judgment we will reap. So hear that this morning. Hear the, the stark warning there. We should not judge lightly. Yet we so often do it, don't we? Those conversations in our homes, in our cars, those thoughts in our hearts and minds where we judge people unfairly, harshly, pridefully. Be warned. If we persist in this, we are sowing for ourselves a similar kind of judgment. This is no small thing this morning, loved ones. This is no small thing. We need to remind ourselves of the measure of God's judgment. So as we think about judging one another, we need to remind ourselves of the measure of God's judgment, which is just, but it's patient. It's fair. We need to remember he's a gracious judge who because of Jesus declares us innocent. And yes, we will likely make mistakes with our judgment, right? We've already done that. We will do that in the future. But when we do that, we should confess before God and those we misjudge. We should repent of those things where we have erred. And we should therefore seek much wisdom as we exercise the kind of judgment the New Testament calls us to. Be warned, be humble, verses 3 to 5. Jesus uses that image of log and speck, which you're probably familiar with. The log and the speck here refers to sin, to wrong. The biggest reason you and I judge other people unfairly is because we fail to look at our own hearts and lives with humility. So common, isn't it? We have 20-20 vision when, when it comes to looking at other people's shortcomings and faults, don't we? 20-20 vision. We, we've got them down to a T. But yet when it comes to our own hearts and lives, we are so blind. We are so quick to sweep our own shortcomings and flaws and sin under the carpet while pretending to have laser focus and laser vision on the faults and flaws of others. So therefore, we must take care of our own sin first. That's the big exhortation here. Get your own house in order. Get your own heart in order. We need God's Word to do that because we're so blind and so fickle when it comes to our hearts. We need daily rhythms of prayerful repentance. That's what the Lord's Prayer points us towards. Forgive us this day our debts. We need other Christians in our lives to help us deal with our sin. If you don't have those things in your life, then it's likely your heart is hardening and you're lacking in humility, or you will grow in hardness and increasingly lack humility. We need to daily embrace Jesus with repentance and faith and contemplate the depth of mercy God has shown us. How great His love has been towards us. The good news is that we have new hearts with Christ's Spirit in them, helping us to do that. It's possible. Humility is not impossible. If you and I tend towards harshness and unfairness this morning, 
and his self-righteous rants. We tend towards those things. If we're marked by those things, it's probably because we aren't working hard enough to cultivate humility in our own hearts. If you tend towards harshness and unfairness and self-righteous rants, it's probably because you and I aren't working hard enough on our own humility. So we must deal with our own sin first, and we need to remember that we can't see someone's heart. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Only he can do that. We cannot confidently diagnose someone's heart and motives. We have to leave that to God. But, okay, but, so we deal with our own sin first. We can't see someone's heart. It's not up to us to judge the motives of someone's heart, but we can see someone's fruit. Again, we'll be thinking about this next week. We can judge based on fruit. That's what Matthew 7 verse 20 points towards. We can judge others based on how they live. We can say that is good and that is wrong. And the way that we do that is with humility. And with humility, we highlight the sin of others. So we deal with our own sin first. And then with humility, we can and are called to highlight the sin of others, primarily within the church. Here's a number of things we need to do if we are to do that with humility. Don't make assumptions. Listen well. How often we misjudge and jump to conclusions because we, we, we don't listen we don't give the benefit of the doubt. Don't judge on appearance. Just because a person looks a certain way or a situation or circumstance looks a certain way doesn't mean that we are going to know exactly why that's happening or what's going on in someone's heart. Don't judge based on rumors. Don't judge based on our preferences, whatever those preferences might be. Cultural preferences, traditional preferences, personal preferences, preferences we've absorbed from our family growing up. We need to be careful not to judge on preference. We're not to judge based on what part of the town we're from, how we speak, our background, our past, what job we have, how much money we earn. We're to always assume the best of one another. Give the benefit of the doubt. Extend patience and grace. We're to judge based on the Bible, not, not on any bias we might have or on extra biblical standards we set. Yet, yet we are still called to take out the speck in each other's eyes. That's what verse 5 tells us. We take our own log out first, but then we're still called to judge one another. Galatians 6 verse 1, a number of verses speak to this. Galatians 6 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, how? In a spirit of gentleness. Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Don't jump to conclusions. Assume the best, but if they sin against you, go and tell them. 1 Timothy 5, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them. And this kind of humility applies to all of life. It applies to our marriages, our workplaces. Workplaces can often be a place of heated judgmentalism, right? Let's make sure we're not contributing towards that our families, our neighbors, and in the church. We're to exhibit the same kind of humble approach to all. 
And so often we don't. We're marked by harshness rather than honoring one another, which we thought about last year in Romans 12. So let me just ask us this morning, as we sit here in the relationships we're currently in, have we harshly or unfairly judged someone? Have we harshly or unfairly passed judgment on someone recently? If so, then come before the Lord. There's forgiveness for that and make sure you're at peace in that relationship. Do everything you can to be at peace in that relationship. And on the flip side of that, so as those who judge, we're to judge with humility, but as, we, as Christians, as we invite that judgment, that discernment in our lives, how should we receive it? Well, we should be willing to receive correction from those who aren't perfect, from those who differ from us, even from those who don't always deliver it well, because that's all of us, right? Yet we should be much quicker to listen to correction from those who exhibit a humble character and are our true friends. You should always be willing to listen to correction, but particularly to the correction of those who exhibit a humble character and who exhibit biblical friendship in our lives. Be warned, be humble, and be wise. So we have this weird verse in verse 6. Maybe you thought that as Lauren read it out. Uh, verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And you're like, what's that all about? What's that got to do with judging? And then what's it got to do with prayer? Well, dogs and pigs here, really, if we dig into it, is referring to those who choose to reject Jesus. If we look at Matthew as a whole, if we look at the Old New Testament as a whole, really, dogs and pigs here re reflect or, or point towards those who choose to reject Jesus. And then the pearls and what is holy is the valuable kingdom of God and the valuable message of that kingdom, the good news of Jesus. So what this verse is teaching is, yes, we shouldn't unfairly judge people, we shouldn't jump to conclusions, but we shouldn't be foolish either. We shouldn't be foolish either. You don't give your best shoes to your dog to play with, do you? If you have a dog. If you go down to Heads of Air, you wouldn't dangle your phone or your watch or your jewelry uh, near the pigs in case they got it and then trampled it under their foot in the mud. This verse is calling us to be discerning to not be foolish about who we seek to engage with relationally. As Christians, we should be wise about who we choose to invest in spiritually, who we share the gospel with, who we disciple. We need wisdom to discern if they are genuinely seeking Jesus. If there is persistent rejection, maybe particularly a hostile rejection, we would maybe be wise to consider stepping back. Matthew 10, uh, if we skip forward in Matthew, we see that Jesus tells his disciples as he sends them out, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and when you leave that house or town. I, I lived with a friend um, one time who innocently kind of sought to engage with and kind of share the gospel with uh, someone, um, but over time it became apparent that this person had alternative selfish and even sinister motives in that relationship forming, and it led to hostility. He, we, as his friends, didn't exercise enough wisdom and know when to step back. So how do we exercise that kind of wisdom? Because we want to be generous, right? We don't want to make assumptions. We want to be generous with our evangelizing and our discipleship. We want to be generous to those things. We don't want to be those who judge unfairly. So how do we have the wisdom to know when it might be unwise? Well, we get wise from Scripture. We ask for wisdom from God, and we seek the wisdom of others. 
There's three key ways we can seek to become more wise in these things. Get wise from Scripture, ask for wisdom from God because we need it, and seek the wisdom of others. So Jesus here is helping us to have a, a clear, humble view of our relationships with other people. Now he brings clarity to how we should view our relationship with God. That's the second thing we see this morning. Real relationships require me to look through the lens of humility at others, and secondly, to look through the lens of Father at God. Verse 78, if you look down, Jesus tells us to go to God. And you kind of think to yourself, like, why does Jesus need to remind the disciples? Why does he need to remind us, hey, you know you can go and ask God for stuff? Why does he need to do that? Because so often we don't. Because so often we think he can't or he won't answer us. Jesus says that's not true. God can be trusted. He can be approached. And maybe particularly as we've been working through this series, we think to ourselves, okay, all the things that we've, uh, Jesus has said to us, all the things that he's calling for us to, to live out, maybe we've been thinking to ourselves, I can't do this. This is too hard. My, my heart is too wayward and, and sinful and sick. How can I actually keep going as a disciple of Jesus? I don't know if you've thought that. I've certainly thought that. And maybe if you're not a Christian, then maybe you're thinking, why would I sign up for this? This is way too hard. Living in line with Jesus' commands is too hard and it's too restrictive. Three big things Jesus says here. God will give us what we need to live for him as his disciples if we ask. What he gives us is good. And what he gives us, he, he gives us good things generously. He gives to us, what he gives us is good, and he gives generously. If only you and I would ask. That's what he's inviting us to do here. What is it that he's getting us to ask for? What is it that God will give to us? What is Jesus promising here? Well, I was thinking about um, how Joseph often comes and asks me or asks us for stuff. Um, one of those things is chocolate, and I saw him beforehand over at the desk trying to grab some chocolate. He's always asking for chocolate every time he sees it, and sometimes we give it to him, but often withholding it from him is a good thing for him. You and I, when we come to this verse, when we come to these things, we need to have a biblical filter for what we ask for God, ask of God, and a biblical framework of how we should expect him to answer. That's really important. We need to have a biblical filter for what we ask and a biblical framework of how we should expect him to answer. So what should we ask for? Well, if we take one step back from our current verses into chapter 6, we'll see that Jesus is primarily telling us we can ask for material necessities. We need to live out God's will until the day we die. We thought about that last week. We see that in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. If we take two steps back into chapter 5 and a step forward into chapter 7, it's also referring to all that we need to be faithful disciples, body and soul. It's asking God to help our wandering hearts to obey Him when it comes to our character, our witness, our personal righteousness, anger, lust, marriage, oaths, retaliation, loving our enemies, judgmentalism, the cost and difficulty of living for Jesus. There's lots of things to get asking God about. Are we asking about those things? Are we asking him to help us live out those things? 
Do you believe he would call us to this kind of obedience? Do you believe that God would call you to this kind of obedience, this kind of depth of of heart-deep obedience, and not help us and provide for us to do that? So often we think he does. So often we live like he doesn't provide for us. What he's saying here is, I'm calling you to this, and I'll give you everything you need to live this out. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean things change overnight. But we can go and ask him. Jesus here is helping to change our perspective on God by reminding us of something that he's already been speaking about multiple times in these verses. And he reminds us here again because of how quick we are to forget it. He reminds us that God is our Father. God is our Father and that we can go and ask him. How are we to ask Jesus tells us, ask, seek, and knock, which really together communicate an awareness of our need, an intentionally seeking God, a persistence in that, and an expectancy in that, okay? God wants us to come to Him and ask, and one of the ways that He trains and changes our hearts is by getting us to come and ask. It's not that He's withholding these things from us, He's changing our hearts and getting us to come and ask for them. Will he answer? How are we to ask? Ask, knock. Will he answer? Will he give? Will he provide for us? Yes. That's the clear, simple answer. Yes, but Jesus doesn't just give us one yes. He gives us three. He assures us with three yeses. Look down. Yes, it will be given to you. Yes, you will find. Yes, it will be open to you. The emphasis here in these verses is God gives, God answers, God provides, God knows, God listens, God gives. Yet often, or maybe even right now, you're thinking to yourself, He isn't answering. He isn't giving. Jesus would get us to consider, are we really seeking God? If we feel like that, are we really seeking God? Are we knocking in the right place? Or are we seeking solution from things or people around us more than God? Have we persisted in our requests? The Bible's teaching is clear. We're called to persist in prayer. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And maybe we need to step back and be honest what it is we're asking for if we feel like he's not answering. Are we asking in line with his will revealed to us in his word? Are we asking him to change our heart or just our circumstances? And maybe he has already answered. We just haven't accepted that yet. Think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He asked three times for the thorn to be removed. Jesus, God answered with, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. So what confidence do we have in our asking now? It's a big reason why Jesus is saying this to us. What is our confidence? God is our Father. We can ask, how can we be confident? Verse 9 to 11, he tells us why we can be confident. Because God is a perfect, good, and generous Father. A perfect, good, and generous Father. The picture comparison Jesus makes here is between an earthly Father and a heavenly Father. 
He's saying basically, if even an earthly father gives good things, or at least knows that he should, if even an earthly father can give good things, though he is evil and sinful, Jesus doesn't mince his words, does he? If even he can give good things, if even an evil, sinful father gives good to his children, or knows at least that he should, how much more, how much more will your perfect heavenly Father give you good gifts? Loved ones, here is a Father who is perfect. Here is a Father who is good. Here is a Father who will always provide. Here is a Father who is not evil or sinful or harsh or abusive. Here is a Father who invites us to speak to Him and longs for us to come and ask Him. Here is a father waiting to generously give us good things. Whatever your experience or my experience has been of our earthly fathers or what it will be, we can know and experience a heavenly father like this for all eternity. And if we are to approach God as father, okay, if we are to approach God as father, what does that make us? It makes us children, doesn't it? We don't come to him with everything figured out. We don't come to him with great big words or articulated sentences or coming to him. You know, you know, often people say, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. That's not what God says. We come to him with a childlike simplicity and dependence. And the answering of our requests is not based on our approach. It's based on our adoption. It's based on our adoption. So if you're a Christian this morning, remind yourself that God is your Father, your perfect, good, gracious, generous Father. If you're not a Christian this morning, then God is not yet your Father. He is only your judge. But He can be. He longs to be. These promises can be true of you. God can be your father. How? Because of Jesus. Because of the one who didn't judge us unfairly, but came to earth to take on the judgment of God that we deserved. Because Jesus is God's ultimate good gift to us. Because Jesus died for our sinful, wayward hearts so that we might be adopted into God's family and get to call him father. Because Jesus' perfect life is now credited to us. He now lives within us by his spirit so that we can live for him. And Jesus gives us a new lens through which we can live our lives. And that lens is his commandments, which in this last section he summarizes in verse 12. Real relationships require me to look through the lens of humility at others, through the lens of Father at God, and then finally through the lens of love at everything. If you look down at um, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay, that saying gets used a lot in our culture, doesn't it? Um, do to others as you would have them do to you. I don't know if you've heard that recently. It's not that long ago since I heard someone who's not a Christian say that to me. But if we really dig down deep enough into that, there's no real solid definition. What, what is it that we would do? It's a definition that ultimately must come from Jesus, from the law of Christ. And in verse 12, Jesus is doing a number of things here. He's summarizing and simplifying 
our righteous obedience. He's really shrinking everything down into this one verse. All that he's called us to so far in Matthew 5 to 7, he's saying ultimately it comes down to this. This is how you're to treat other people. This is how you're to live out your obedience before other people. He's defining the scope of our righteousness. It's everything good. Okay, do you notice verse 12? So whatever. Okay, it's very open-ended. This is a maximalist approach to your righteousness. It's not what's the bare bones I can get away with to people in my church or my neighbors or my friends or family. Whatever you would wish people to do, do you do to them also. And he's reminding us really importantly here the heart behind our righteousness, behind our relationships. It's love. Keeps bringing us back to that. It's love. He's continuing to move our obedience away from that kind of external rule-keeping righteousness to real heart-deep righteousness, which flows from love for God and love for others, which Alison mentioned in the verse that she shared. He's getting us to move away from this kind of thinking. What are my limits in this relationship with others and with God? What is the least I can get away with to take the box? That's what he's getting us to move away from. Instead, he's getting us to ask, how can I love this person? How can I love my wife, my husband, my family member, my colleague, my child, my friend, my neighbor, in this moment in a way that I would like to be loved and treated? Matthew 22, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do to others what you would wish them to do to you. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And if we were to flesh that out, if we were to take that commandment and flesh it out, it's, it's all the things we've been thinking about. It's Matthew 5 to 7. In fact, it's the whole law of Christ in the New Testament. It's not getting angry at others the way we wouldn't like them to get angry at us. It's not retaliating towards others the way we wouldn't like them to retaliate at us. It's not judging others in the way we wouldn't want to be judged by others. And ultimately, all of this is driving us to depend on the only one who could ever live these things out perfectly, Jesus. Matthew 5.17 takes us back to the beginning of the sermon. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So as we work through these verses, as we've worked through this today, we think about judgmentalism and trusting God. So often we feel like we've failed, haven't we? The promise of Jesus, the reality of Jesus, is that he fulfills where we have failed. That's the good news of the gospel. He saves where we, have and where we have and still simply fall short of these things. Jesus doesn't call us to do what he himself hasn't first already done for us. Through embracing him in repentance and faith, we can know the love of God and in turn love others from a changed heart. We can live out verse 12. We can live out that verse because Jesus lived it out perfectly for us first. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, even though we didn't deserve it, we can do to others what we wish they would do to us. We can judge others with humility, and we can trust and call to God as Father.
So let's do that today. Let's look to the cross when we are tempted to be critical, to see our brother hanging there so that we might call God our Heavenly Father. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you confessing the harshness and the unfairness with which we have so often judged other people. We repent of that. We ask that you would forgive us for that. Father, we ask that you would help us to come to you as Father, to trust that you will give us all that we need to live for you. Father, we thank you for your spirit, which is at work within our hearts to help us live these things out. Father, I pray that we would be people, that we would be workplaces, families, and a church where we are slow to judge unfairly and where we we are quick, quick to run to God as Father. Father, help us to live these things out. Help us to help each other live these things out. Help us to remember the the love and the patience and the grace that you've shown us in Jesus. May that fuel our hearts as we seek to obey these things in the week to come. In his name we pray, amen.